Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episodes. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Mark Stansbury. That's right. Mark is an incredible chairman and a leading energy expert. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Well, first of all, Michelle, I have to thank you for inviting me to be a part of this program today, this episode. And uh, again, my name is Mark Stansbury, uh, energy advisor, corporate strategist, and uh, an energy advocate and uh, entrepreneur. So it's wonderful to be part of this uh, episode. So it's truly an honor. No, thank you. So how did you get started off in the energy sector? Well, I'm going to try to make this a short story, but it's got to start somewhat back when I was around 13 years old. My family was not involved in the oil and gas industry, but I took an interest uh, at first. I, at age 13, there was a well being drilled in Elk City, Oklahoma, my hometown, about a mile outside of the town. It was a 24,000-foot test, a very deep well, gas well. This was in 1969, so I'm telling my age already. And so it wound up that the well was successful. And so it was that at that point in time, we started putting out decals. As young people, we were asked to go out and put decals saying, natural gas capital of the world, Elk City, Oklahoma. And so we put these decals up throughout the, the city. and and we were very proud of that. Well, move it forward. I had a mentor. His name was Cooper West, and he was from Elk City, and he was in the oil and gas industry, and was also involved in as an entrepreneur. So he's a mentor of mine in that sense. And so uh, I wound up uh, approaching him, not about the oil and gas industry, but years later when I was out of high school, I was 19 years old, and I asked, "Is there a way that I can work for a uh, for a U.S. senator or go to the Hill, work for a congressman as an intern?" So I knew he was well-connected. And so he introduced me to U.S. Senator Dewey Bartlett. And Dewey, uh, Senator Bartlett, offered me a position as intern. And then so I served as an intern and staffer. Well, part of my job was to do research. And part of the research was on natural gas. And I didn't know much about natural gas or oil or anything like that. And then it wound up that he was given a speech, Senator Bartlett, at OPEC. And this was going to be at Oslo, Norway in 1975. And he put a group of, together, including myself, to help, you know, write his speech. And, uh, and uh, so I did help on that. And it uh, wound up that the time we got through, I knew much more about natural gas and, and oil and, and OPEC, and that I didn't even know much about OPEC until I, I helped write that uh, presentation. And it really was a, a learning experience because when I got back, my first draft of the paper I wrote, it was more red than, than black and white. <laughs> he, he corrected me quite a bit. So he was truly a mentor in that sense as well. So then I graduate from, from college and my mentor, Cooper West, he wound up, you know, I asked him, I said, now I'm really interested in the oil and gas business. <laughs> you know, I've asked him several times to help me through as a mentor. And he came through again. I said, I'd like to get involved. He said, well, what about being a landman? Call him landman. And he said, uh, I'll, I'm going to introduce you to El Paso Natural Gas Company, which he did. And they offered me a job. And then at the last minute, I was going to get ready to be married in that summer of 1977, September, around, uh, I was engaged and all, but around uh, May, sometime in May, I get a call from Cooper. He said, you know, I want to keep you for myself. I, I want you to work with me. 
in Elk City, my hometown. And so I was so thrilled because that was a lot of activity going on then, oil and gas activity, especially natural gas, capital of the world, and great place to be. So it wound up that I got a job and he sent me off to school and so forth. And that really was the intro to the energy business. And uh, I've tried to keep it short. So there's a longer story, but that, that gets you there, Michelle. No, thank you. Sounds interesting. So who was your role model and why did you find them inspirational? I, I go back to my, really to my dad and mom. I put two in that category that really initially, they were so involved. They both didn't have the opportunity to finish uh, high school. So they wanted to make sure their, uh, my sister and, uh, and, and both she and I would have an opportunity to attend college and have these opportunities. So they were very hard workers. They were very, you know, they gave a lot back to society. They were very big in giving that way in both time and effort. So I would say is my mom and dad were really inspirational. George and Lucy Stansbury really made a difference. No, that sounds amazing. It's amazing that you had supportive parents. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So what is the most challenging thing you find about your current role and how do you handle it? I think really I, I, a lot of my efforts, similar to what you do, I have I do have the energy advisory and the uh, strategy work that I do, but the the education side, which I have, I have two podcasts: National Energy Talk and Energy Fellows Podcast, as well, and and then a column in Woman Magazine, and I'm a, I'm a film producer as well, so I have a documentary that just came out as well. So I I find that the challenge is educating the public right now and making sure that we have all the tools and the opportunities that individuals can make the decisions. That's not only from a, from a standpoint of energy, energy education, but also the investment side of it so that we have the proper regulations and things in place as well. And so I, I would say that that's a challenge is make sure we have all the facts correctly presented, both in the business sense as well as, uh, as in the education side of it. Okay. So what made you go into film production? You know, Michelle, it was, uh, I, I'm, I do different business ventures through the years. I start off in the oil and gas and energy overall is my, my main emphasis. With that said, I had opportunities to go into real estate and banking and some other fields of construction and different things like that as far as investment and entrepreneurship. But about 19, let's see, it was 1999, a gentleman came back to Oklahoma. He, he originally was born in Oklahoma. But he made films in Hollywood, and he married late in life, came back to Oklahoma, wanted to settle his family back in his home state. But he spent about 30 years in Hollywood. His name was Gray Fredrickson. And Gray produced uh, The Good, Bad, and Ugly, as far as production manager, that is. And then he did produce The Godfather series, as far as uh, being involved with The Godfather films. He won an Academy Award for Godfather Two, and then he won a, or got nominated for Apocalypse Now as well for Academy Award. Uh, a great individual came back and we got introduced at a chamber meeting and I became friends. We started visiting in about 2001. Gray and I got together talking about how we could work together. He, he wanted to have a film production company in Oklahoma after moving back from Beverly Hills and Hollywood after 30 some years. And he wanted to have a, a film production company put together. He and I did. And at first, I was reluctant to become partners in that sense because I didn't know much about film, but he needed somebody to understand the business side of it. So long story short, we formed a company back in 2001 called Graymark, Gray and Mark, and uh, Graymark Productions. 
And that production company went on to produce uh, uh, several films and a documentary. And from that standpoint, uh, we've done some work together over the last 20 years. He passed away in November. And so his, his service was in December, December 2nd. And so we had a documentary that came out and it happens to tie in with where you are in a sense, uh, you're part of the world. That is, it, it was Sherwood Forest. Okay. Sherwood Forest is it's called Sherwood Forest Top Secret, and uh, it was where uh, the documentary came out December 29th, as far as in Oklahoma statewide, and then PBS.org. And this documentary wound up it told a story about 150, 300 barrels of oil per day at that time, where 40 about 40 roughnecks, a little over 40 roughnecks came from Oklahoma and our region to Sherwood Forest, drilled enough wells in 1943, going back to the, the World War II, enough oil to be produced that even oil was used at D-Day. And, and so over a year period of time, these roughnecks worked with the British in, in the fields of Sherwood Forest and produced upwards of 3,000 barrels of oil per day. And so that uh, was a success. And so the documentary was uh, came out with Barry Corbin, who is uh, the narrator. He's been in about over 200 films from Urban Cowboy to uh, War Games to uh, the Yellowstone that has come out here in, in the United States, as well as Tulsa King and some other films throughout the years. Did a great job. And we had a great director, Greg Malott, who, who was an Emmy winning uh, uh, director as well. So it was a really good team. But we've that's how I got involved. It was really from the initial stage. And I always tell people, especially students, uh, look at opportunities. It doesn't mean they're all going to work out, but look at the opportunities. Go inside the door, door opens and see what's there. And I happened to do that. And it, it wound up being a wonderful opportunity. No, that sounds inspirational. Yes, I agree. You need to look at all opportunities, even though if you don't think it's going to be suitable for you for yourself, you just, I think you need to explore it anyway. That's exactly right. So is there anything that you still want to achieve in your career? You know, every day is a challenge from, you may ask about challenge, but it's, it's beyond a challenge in that sense is that I really like to learn and I like to look at every opportunity I was talking about. And uh, there's, uh, you know, we get presented, for example, uh, oil and gas opportunities and you have to look very carefully and study and analyze. I, I, call, I, I call it lead and that's listen execute, analyze, and then deliver. And so, so I, I, I try to listen better than I used to. <laughs> you know, I keep developing the listening skills and uh, still working on that. But to execute, you have to have analysis and really study it properly, whether it's a film project or writing a book or whatever it might be. It takes a lot of analysis and then, you know, and, and then the delivery. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can have the greatest product in the world, but if you can't get it delivered, then, then you have an issue. So I would say I, I'm still uh, looking at how to s see how I can become more involved and help, help the world in a lot of ways, you know, and there's, there's so many challenges that way ahead of us, a different kind of challenge, but, it's, but that, it is a challenge and I love it. No, it sounds like you do. So if you were going to hire someone, what would make an outstanding hire for you? I, I think the key is really uh, being a loyal, loyal in your work. Uh, loyal as a person, being dependent on not just yourself, but on others and, and making sure you have the right uh, that they can work with the person can work with the team and advisors. And I mentioned about listening and communicating. But with that said, I need somebody that's very determined to tell you what he or she believes 
In other words, if I ask for something, it's not a matter to disagree with me. I'd like to know what facts do you have. And I may not agree with you at the time even, but I want to make sure that I have all the facts correctly presented. And so I'm really looking for somebody that's, you know, well-read, can listen very carefully, but can really do some research that can, um, can build anything that I'm involved with to be successful. So it takes a unique person, but, but uh, even in the early stages, there's going to be some things that we need to help develop. So we try to make sure that they can have the opportunity to learn more as well. So, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. No, that's really good advice. Thank you. Have you had any career disasters? I would say I've had, <laughs> I know where you're coming from. I, I've had a lot of, I would call it good, bad, and ugly in my career because I've, I'm almost 46 years of being in the business come June 1st. And that's not old age-wise. That's 46 years <laughs> of being in the business. So I turned, uh, I'm 67 now. And mm-hmm. so I've seen quite a bit of things happen. So I've seen the good, I've seen the bad and the ugly. I've been part of those situations when, because we don't always uh, make the right decisions. And so you're going to make mistakes. I had a friend who was a CEO. He said, I, may, I remember making a mistake one time. It wasn't that critical, but it was, it was enough, you know, that, that it was not a good decision. And so he said, did you learn anything? And that was a great question. He stayed with me every, every time that there's something that doesn't go right. Did I learn anything? Because if I didn't learn from it, then I'll probably wind up doing something equally or worse than, than that. So he, he really wanted me to study things out. Now, if you make a mistake or whatever, or part of a mistake, make sure it's transparent, admit to it, and get it taken care of. And so a lot of things that could have been a disaster turned out to be more of a mistake. Thank goodness, because of listening to individuals like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If you, it is important to be able to learn from your mistakes. No question. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and admit them. It was hard for me in my younger days. I didn't really want to admit it. <laughs> and so the older I get, it's easier. You think so? so? Yeah, so far, yeah. So with all your experience in the energy sector, you must have seen a lot of changes over the years, which is which is a one, the one Oh, I don't know how you put well, it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I would know. say, that, I'd say that's, that's a tough question, but it's not in a sense because I came from the world of, and, you know, when you take 46 years ago, we, we had just, you know, just a few years after I got started, that came along the fax machine, for example. You know, we didn't have the iPhone. We didn't have, you know, we had to do duplicate copies uh, instead of using a, you know, computer and printouts. And we had, it was, it was definitely, uh, you know, typewriter. I was typing, I was typing documents on a hood of a car, for example, one time back in the 70s, you know, a lot of, a lot of young folks go, what's a typewriter? You know, we, we were, it, so I would say the technology advancement is uh, something that's come to the forefront in such a big way. And I, I've been given a speech, well, started in 2018, given a speech called the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. So I'd go across the U.S. primarily, Houston, Denver, Dallas, different cities, giving talks on that because it, when we're looking at AI or uh, robotics and, and a digital transformation, I, I, I think it's a challenge for uh, especially my, uh, my age group. And I would say, you know, they have, we have to meet that challenge by, by learning more about it or bringing in those that really do know more about it. And, and so we have to look for good, good talent to help in that regard. Cause we're not talking about just the, the AI and robotic, robotics, but also cybersecurity and all these different issues that come before us that we didn't have before. 
as dramatically as we have today. And as the as our economy changes, we need to keep up with that and have boards that are um, you know diverse. You know, we talk about diversity, inclusion, that kind of thing, but that understand uh, how to strive for energy efficiency and environmental preservation, which has been a theme of mine, to incorporate uh, leadership from the C-suite to the board on down to, when I say on down, it's a team effort all the way to those in, in the field as well. So it's, it's across the board instead of, say, up or down. It's across the board. Everybody's uh, communicating together to make sure their your company is effective and efficient. Okay. No, thank you. That was really interesting. What is your zone of genius? What are you most excellent at? I would say I really like to communicate. And that was something that I have had to continue to develop because uh, it's something that, in fact, I remember uh, I was wanting to be at one point an attorney. And I went to uh, the president of, of, our, of the university I was attending and asked for advice of what's the best way to get into law school and so forth. And he was, he was very, you know, he emphasized communication and that that would be important, not necessarily the major. It was more of whatever you, you cho- choose as a major. Keep in mind that communication will get you through. So I, I, I give, you know, I give a lot of speeches throughout the country. I, I write books. I've written six books on energy related. And I've on, on a podcast, for example, two podcasts and uh, really love Communicating that with OGGN, Oil and Gas Global Network, is I'm connected with them with Energy Fellows. Those things I would not even have thought about had I not had that communication with probably the president of the university about how because he had a law degree and he and he uh, but I didn't pursue law. I wound up pursuing land and finance, and then all these other opportunities came along. But communication has been uh, been vital all along. I think so too. I think communication is quite a, a vital skill to have. I was I was somewhat shy uh, in my early days, so it was it was uh, something that you know I needed to improve on, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still yeah. still trying to improve. No, you sound amazing. I think everybody's shy when they're younger. I think you're just finding your feet when you're much younger <laughs> as well. I think you're right. What does your average week look like? Well, there's no average week. It's amazing. It's hour by hour sometimes, even day by day. Uh, because of all the things I'm involved with, I, I was at university, for example, I was on the university boards or university board, excuse me, of, of Oklahoma. It's called Re- Regional University System of Oklahoma. I served nine years, one term, and then five years, another term. I've been a trustee of a private university. I've been involved with higher education. For about 30 years of my career, I've been involved with some form of that, and that's uh, of, of that area, that, that, that field of higher education. That sector. So I wound up, it takes a great deal of time of, of uh, involvement that way. So I have to balance between my interest in higher education with my business, you know, whether it's writing a book or writing, I write a column, as I mentioned, uh, I believe, in Old Man Magazine that uh, comes out for the last, this be 10 years. And so I have to make sure my time's allocated to make sure everything works out from the column to a movie project to oil and gas and energy projects. And we're looking at always for forming alliances and partnerships and those kind of things. So it's takes uh, it's a lot of juggling, and so I try not to drop, keep the juggling without dropping anything. So it's 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 quite quite a chore, but I, I love doing it. Okay, you seem like you have quite a lot going on, which is amazing. So how do you manage your time? You would need you to know. Manage- 
Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because uh, I, I'm still working on the uh, <laughs> how to do that properly. I love dashboards. And so I incorporate a dashboard also from a calendar perspective, scheduling as well. So I have with the dashboard, I have metrics, measurements. So, for example, let's say uh, I, I this episode today, for example, making sure you know it's it's on that I'm on time and, and scheduled and and so forth. So it winds up that first of all, I put down a dashboard, you know, and have this uh, this episode um, podcast with you, and so it winds up this is a certain time and certain subjects and things like that. So that and the measurement is uh, I'll have to look at it from the standpoint where we first of all completed it but also was that I cover the things that need to be covered. So I'll kind of analyze myself in that regard. So it's kind of a continuing dashboard and metrics, which I love having, whatever scale that is, from very small to very large. So I love being part of this uh, podcast episode. And you have a great, by the way, great podcast. I hope many tune in because it's fantastic. No, thank you. That's really insightful information as well. Because it is quite hard to to manage your time, especially when you have quite a lot of different projects going on. No, no question. And of course, then you have your outside activities. You have to make sure, you know, family, whatever it might be, you have to balance all those things out as well. And time for yourself. I always tell folks, find time for yourself because that's uh, very, very important. Yeah, that uh, is along really the way. Because I mean, I, I've been on jobs. I'm sure you have, uh, based on, on your experience I've, I've read about, which is unbelievable. You have projects that are very time consuming sometimes where it's a, I'm sure that's 12 hours, 14, even around the clock type things where you're on call 24-7. And that's, that's really finding that balance and then finding, you know, you need some time along the way to stop and say, I need some time for myself or my family or friends, whatever it might be. You got to keep that balance. So I'd say balance is a big, big uh, part of the list. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So who do you depend on the most? I would say I, de- I really depend upon advisors. I, I, along the way, I thought, well, I'm going to learn all, you know, all I can about certain things. So I'm really the expert in many areas. Well, that doesn't happen. So whether it's uh, energy or, or uh, business ventures or film or whatever, I have to count on those that are the experts to not only advise, but execute because I, there's certain things I'm not capable of really doing it. And I, I have to accept that and listen to advice. And, and that's, that's, I, I have, have to surround myself with those that are the experts, whether it's accounting or legal engineering, like you're in and things like that. I have to count on that expertise, but find the best experts possible that I get affordable that I can rely on. Okay. Do you, it is important. So how do you go about choosing, choosing your advisors and building your team around you? It, especially now in my, where I am in, in my, in my life, I, Pretty well have a uh, what we used to call a rolodex <laughs> of of names to go to and say for example I want to do work in, in the UK I, I would know first of all I've got your I would definitely add your name big time to the list <laughs> of someone to reach out to so I keep this this information always available is who if I was coming to the UK who who do I have contacts there that would help me make contacts with those in the field of, you know, whether it's international law or, or in, you know, having engineering issues or whatever it might be. So I would say when you first get started, I would, I would say be sure to maintain a list. So if you're just right out of college and you start working and you don't keep a list, 
that's an issue. I think that, you know, 10 years down the road, you may wish you had that name and that number of a person to at least reach out to, to ask questions because I've built it around through the years. I've got a large list throughout the world of people I can contact and they will help guide me to the experts and advisors. Because if you're drilling a well in, say, uh, North Dakota or Oklahoma, you're going to have different geological structure and formations, things like that. You need somebody that's the expert in those areas. Uh, so sometimes you have to call outside your your area of, of where you're working to get that expert. Okay, thank you. It is important to, to, keep, a, to keep a list of contacts. No question. Yes, it is. It is. That's really good advice, actually. What type of work do you always delegate? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I, let's say if I take on a project, I, I'm always looking for the next opportunity, being independent especially now, I'm always looking for the next opportunity. And so I have to be out and about looking for the projects. So I try to put in someone that I can identify as a project manager for most every project. And whether they, whether they have the title of project manager or, or uh, whatever title I give them, they're basically in charge of carrying out the project. So if I come up with an oil, you know, an energy project, uh, say it's a wind project or whatever, then I bring in an expert in that area, assign them that project, and they they're delegated that. So I'm really big on delegating as much as possible because that way I can continue to look at other projects, and I have to trust that. So we're, we're talking about how do we find the right advisors and the right workers. There's a point in time where you have to give trust and say, Here, here's the project, go for it. Does that mean you know that you're going to always pick the right person to do the job? I would say sometimes it just doesn't fit. Maybe right person in a sense, but may not fit personalities, communications, those kind of things. So sometimes you have to step in and assign them other work somewhere else and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so, but I would say overall, it's giving someone the trust to get the job done usually carries through to success. That's I like delegating. Okay. No, that's excellent. Excellent advice. I was going to ask you, what keeps you motivated when things get tough? I, you know, I think, I think the inspiration, knowing that you're making a difference. It may get tough, but there's somebody out there that has something going on a lot tougher than myself. You know, there's somebody out there that needs, you know, if I'm going out and put, putting together a, uh, an oil and gas or wind or energy project, let's say, I know that that benefits others. If I can keep that attitude in my mind that it's going to benefit others, then it picks me up. Because if, if I know, you know, for example, the energy field in itself is so important to me. There's some child in the world that doesn't have access to uh, electricity for reading for refrigeration, for all these other things. And there's billions of children and people that have that issue. Then I shouldn't look at it from a standpoint. Of course, we all get down a little bit, don't we? You know, but at the same time, to lift it up as goes, I'm helping this person by doing what I'm doing. If it's a film project, I'm helping uh, deliver historical value or entertaining value or inspirational value they can help others. So if I keep that attitude and it's, it's not so easy to do that all the time when you do have, you know, you get kind of down or whatever, the what, best way for me to lift up is going, I'm making a difference. And that's, that's my way of getting through and, and moving forward. No, that's excellent. 
Excellent advice. I think I yeah I th I think that we all get down from time to time, but I think it's realizing that we do actually all make a difference. That's right, every single one of us. Yeah. Yes. My final question would be: If you could turn back time, would you change anything? I don't know if I would change as much as I would try to, you know, just keep learning more. You know, I would I, I wish. Uh, if I was going to take the wish and say, what would I have done more, more of would be just learn more and, and just capture more. And, and I'm doing that now and still trying to do that. And uh, I don't have any, no, I don't have any regrets or anything like that as far as looking what I would have done, but I would just said, uh, listen and learn. I would, it's more of an advice. It's, uh, continue to listen and learn just inhale it all. Just take, take on life and, and be meaningful with it. And uh, there's some times where I didn't do like that. Looking back, I could have done more. And I think we can all say that. But but still, that's that's what I like to think about. Okay. No, excellent. I just one more question, actually. I just wondered, because of all your experience and knowledge and wisdom, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice when you were your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Oh, that's a good good question, and uh, one I'm trying to think of the, the best answer in a short period of time because <laughs> that could go into different ways. I would I would say that my the advice I'd give myself would be to, to always look positive, look at trying to find the positive. I, I think I'm that way somewhat anyway, but it's finding the positives, and and, and that's the advice I would say. Don't ever get down or di disillusioned or be challenged by some people's remarks. I, uh, especially in my younger days, I would take things very personally instead of looking at, well, it's good advice, or maybe it's not good advice. Maybe I should just tune it out. <laughs> but so I need to be more attuned to others and really what they mean. And that was then and now too, as far as that goes. But really, you have to let things go sometimes by some people's uh, remarks or comments or whatever they may come about. You have to have the, the advices move forward. Don't let anything hold you back. Keep moving. No, that's really good advice. Because I think everybody, we all get, we all have maybe times that think we think that things are not going to work out, and then they suddenly do. That's right. That's yeah, exactly right. No, I'm going to leave on that positive note. That was a, that was an amazing answer, actually. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.